I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to my 65th sermon on the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that submission and love is the crux of Christianity, and only as we show that love to one another in our most intimate relationships can others see our Christian testimony. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs, and it's a wonderful thing that we have such a blessed Savior that would look beyond the many faults that we have. Our sins, though they be many, have been forgiven. Well, we are glad that you're able to be with us this morning, and this morning we're on our 65th sermon on the biblical design of gender, and our text this morning is in the 19th chapter of the book of 1 Kings, and the first two verses, and the Bible says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit and for his ability to explain your words. So Lord, we ask you that you would give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this message for this morning. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now let me give an historical review of the Old Testament before we get back to our gender study. And as we know from our earlier study, the patriarch Abraham's grandson Jacob, whose name God changed to Israel, had 12 sons. Joseph, who was Jacob slash Israel's favorite son, and his oldest son by his favorite wife Rachel, led the family into Egypt. And because Israel considered Joseph his firstborn, Joseph was given a double inheritance in the land. Joseph had two sons, and each of Joseph's sons received an inheritance 
as did 10 of the other 11 sons of Israel. The son that did not receive an inheritance in the land was Levi, who was given the ministry of the worship of God as a responsibility rather than an inheritance upon which to raise crops. And after the Israelites were liberated from Egypt, God, through the ministry of Moses, led the descendants of Israel to the promised land, which is in present-day Palestine. God gave them a command to conquer the land and to destroy the indigenous people living there as they did not worship God, but rather were worshipers of idols. And the Israelites, under the leadership of Joshua, made a good start in clearing the land. But when Joshua died, the Israelites found warfare not to their liking and decided to live with the indigenous people of the land. And we have studied for the last couple of weeks that it is a bad thing for people that worship God to align themselves with unbelievers. And God warned the Israelites against doing so in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, in which he said, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But the Israelites found the unbelievers attractive, largely because they had different, less stringent rules of sexuality than did the Israelites. And women that make themselves more sexually available are generally more attractive to men than women that make themselves less sexually available. And the ritual act of Israelite worship was the sacrifice of an animal or a grain offering to the Lord and listening to the reading of scripture. The ritual act of idolatrous worship was sexual intercourse. Thus God told Israel in Deuteronomy 7 and 4, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And the pagan idol worshipers turned the Israelites away from God with great efficiency. Thus God no longer supported Israel militarily in the occupation of their land, and Israel began to find itself under the rule of the indigenous kings. Now the loss of sovereignty caused Israel to repent of its sin of idolatry and return to God. And with this reform, God once again supported Israel militarily. But Israel was infected by the nations and clamored to change their form of government from a theocracy to a kingdom, as were the nations. God acquiesced to the Israelites and made Saul the first king of Israel, but Saul was disobedient to God. And when Saul decided to not sacrifice the possessions of the conquered to God as God instructed him, God rejected Saul and made David king. Now David was a man after God's own heart, and other than the sexually indiscreet episode with Bathsheba, followed God's instructions. Fortunately for David, Bathsheba was an Israelite, and thus she never tempted David to worship idol gods. David installed his son Solomon as king just before he died, and because of Solomon's request to God for the wisdom to rule Israel, God made Solomon extremely successful as a king. Solomon built a magnificent temple for God, and God empowered Solomon to build the kingdom of Israel up, both politically and economically, 
into a kingdom the power and riches of which has never been seen before or since. But Solomon's harem was his downfall. Solomon sought out the most beautiful women available from every kingdom within his reach and married them. The Bible records that Solomon had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. And as Solomon aged, his increasingly enjoyment of the company of these noble young women, and as these women were idol worshipers, Solomon returned the pleasures that his wives gave him by building temples for their idols in Israel. Now Solomon's facilitation of idolatry displeased God, who decided to divide the kingdom into two pieces, to give one piece to Solomon's son to keep his promise to his father David, that David would always have a descendant on the throne, and to give the other piece to a new king. And when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam became king, the ten northern tribes of Israel broke away from the two southern tribes to form two separate kingdoms. The two southern tribes ruled by Solomon's son Rehoboam were known as Judah, and the ten northern tribes ruled by an Egyptian Jew named Jeroboam were known as Israel. But after receiving the rule over the ten northern tribes, Jeroboam did not trust God to keep his kingdom secure. Jeroboam's fear was that the triennial pilgrimage that the Israelites made to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to worship God would lead the men of the northern kingdom to re reunite with the men of the south. 1 Kings 12, 26-31 records, And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice and made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places, and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Thus Jeroboam set the stage for the cessation of the worship of God in the northern kingdom of Israel. Beginning with the reign of Jeroboam, the majority of the kings of Israel either worshiped Jeroboam's gods or others' idols' gods. Now, our, the king in our, of Israel in this lesson is Ahab, who worshiped Baal for a similar reason as previous kings. 1 Kings 16, 32-33 records, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshiped him. Then he set up an altar in the temple of Baal, which he had, which he had previously built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image of Baal. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings who were before him. And once again, 
the worship of an indigenous idol reigned in the land because of the marriage of the king to an idolatrous wife. Jezebel derived her power from her marriage to Ahab because Jezebel knew exactly how to manipulate him in order to hold sway over the kingdom. Now, women are special creatures with the ability, together with a husband and God, to create life within their wombs. Mothers are the source of life and sustenance through breastfeeding and emotional caretaking. Through social bonding, women are the link between men, family, and society. Through their acceptable of a, acceptance rather of a particular man, women determine the social behavior of that man. And it is likely true that if bad boys couldn't get a date, they would become good boys. So wives naturally wield power over their husbands. A husband naturally comes to his wife seeking the same affection and approval that he received from his mother. And when the husband gets that affection and approval from his wife, he is on the road to becoming completely devoted to her. And when women understand and use their power of emotional approval properly, their men, their marriages, and their lives are transformed. And when wives use their power over their husbands benevolently in the midst of negative circumstances, such as financial woes, illnesses, and recalcitrant children, both wife and husband can still be happy with one another as they go through the storm. But this is, to a large degree, a one-way street. When it comes to interpersonal relationships, men and women are as different as night and day. Women have the power and men do not. God said in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. But the Bible does not say that it is not good for a woman to be alone. This is because God has given women the emotional resources that will keep them from being alone. And although women have the ability to capture a man's emotions, the reverse is not true. 1 Corinthians 11 and 9 tells us, Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. God gives women emotional resources that men generally do not have. And when there are no men around, women bond with each other. And in the dance venues in which my wife and I socialize, there are generally more women than men. And the most popular dances are those in which the women dance in unison with one another because women complement and bond with one another. But when we visit a venue in which there are more men than women, the men dance with one another only very reluctantly. We visited such a venue this week. And although the male instructor danced with the other men during the instructional period, I did not see two men dancing with one another during the social period. And when the guy came to dance with me, I instinctively put my hand in my pocket and made it clear that I was uncomfortable in that situation. But God gives women the ability to capture men's emotions and thus bind a man to them. Genesis 2.24 tells us, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And the Hebrew word rendered join, be joined in this passage of scripture is the Hebrew word that means cling to. The Bible uses the same word in Deuteronomy 28, 21, in which it says, the Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. And men will cling to their women like the plague clings to a sick person as long as the woman gives her man her approval. That is the power that a woman has. And as 1 Corinthians eleven nine tells us, the power does not exist in reverse. Now, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, had woman power in abundance. Like Solomon's wives, Jezebel made it her business to make her husband happy. And since she did so, her husband Ahab, the king of Israel, allowed her to do anything that she wanted to do in the kingdom, including make the worship of idol gods the state religion of Israel, as we've read in 1 Kings 16, 32-33. Now, in the conclusion of our last lesson, we left the prophet Elijah having called a drought and famine on the nation of Israel because of Ahab and Jezebel's idolatry. God told Elijah to meet with Ahab in the drought and bring Israel back to the worship of God. First Kings 18 and 1 records, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So God instructed Elijah to propose a competition to Ahab and the men of Israel to prove the identity of the true God. 1 Kings 18, 17 through 24 records, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that said that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, Send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So the competition began. First Kings 18, 25, 26, and 29 records, Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. 
So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And without fire, the sacrifice of Baal went unburned. So Elijah prepared his sacrifice to God. And 1 Kings 18 tells us, And Elijah put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the bird sacrifice and on the wood. Then Elijah said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And it came to pass at the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord he is God. And Elijah gave the men of Israel indisputable proof of the power of God. And then Elijah called on Israel to make another sacrifice to God. First Kings 18, 40 and 41 and 45 and 46 records. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Abraham, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And Elijah's sacrifice convinced all the men of Israel. But there was one person whom Elijah did not convince. 1 Kings 19, 1-3 records, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger, messenger to Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when Elijah heard that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now Ahab was the king of Israel. And he saw the fire from heaven consume the sacrifice and the rain and the drought that had been on the land for three years. And even with all this evidence of the power of God, Ahab was not constrained by the power of God, but rather by his wife. That, my friends, is woman power. 
Solomon's wives had woman power. And now we see that Jezebel had woman power. And the scripture tells us that Elijah saw it. Elijah saw Ahab face to face, challenged Ahab to a contest, and then won the contest. Jezebel sent Elijah a message, and Elijah turned tail and ran, left Israel altogether, and hid out in the southern kingdom of Judah outside of Jezebel's jurisdiction. Why? Although Ahab was the king of Israel, Jezebel had power over the king of Israel. Ahab was convinced of the power of God by the fire that fell from heaven, but Ahab still yielded to the power of Jezebel because of the power that she had over him. Now, how did Jezebel get such comprehensive power over Ahab? 1 Kings 21, 1 through 15 tells us, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. And for it I will give you a better, better vineyard than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And Ahab said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel his wife said to Ahab, You now exercise authority in, over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders of the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth with high honor among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to, to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him, that he may die. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men scoundrels came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones, so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. 
How did Jezebel get such comprehensive power over Ahab? Jezebel took care of Ahab. So Ahab took care of Jezebel. Ahab allowed Jezebel to do and to have whatever she wanted, so much so that the men of Israel knew that when Jezebel spoke, her words had even more authority than did those of the king. That, my friends, is woman power. But woman power is simply power. Woman power is much like electricity. You can use electricity to run your refrigerator and keep your food from spoiling, or you can use the same electricity to electrocute someone. And Jezebel decided to use her woman power for evil. But other women, like David's wife Abigail, used her woman power for good. When David was coming to destroy the estate of Abigail's husband Nabal, because Nabal refused to compensate David's men for watching over Nabal's shepherds and sheep, Abigail sprung into action. 1 Samuel 25 records, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. But now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. And David so respected Abigail that when her husband died on his own, David married her. A wife has the power to turn the heart of her husband in her hand, even as 1 Peter 3.1 tells us, 
Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And the harmonious interaction between husband and wife is certainly in the plan of God, who tells us in Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And we are instructed to be submissive to one another, even as the Lord Jesus Christ was submissive to God and gave himself to build God's kingdom, on a hill called Calvary. As John 3, 16 and 17 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Jesus, by submitting himself to the plan of God, as Abigail gave herself to David, fulfill God's plan and reap the benefits of obedient submission. As Philippians 2, 9 through 11 tells us, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord specifically because he gave himself to the plan of the Father, sacrificing himself on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus tells us that our belief and our resolve to emulate his sacrifice are our keys to the kingdom of God. Jesus instructs us in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the time for arguing between husbands and wives is out. The instruction of the Lord is clear. We are called to submit to one another and to love one another. That submission and love is the crux of Christianity. And only as we show love to one another in our most intimate relationships can others see our Christian testimony. If we show Christian love only to those with whom our relationship is peripheral, we have not really passed the test because the real test is our ability to sacrifice ourselves for one another as Jesus sacrificed himself for us. The scribes and Pharisees that crucified Jesus 
proves that a theologically sound argument from an unloving person is as unattractive to God as idolatry simply because actions speak louder than words. So we must recognize that our most important Christian test Christian testimony is how we conduct our most intimate relationships. And in that regard, Ephesians 5.33 makes it clear. And let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson and we thank you for revealing to us the crux of Christianity. Help us to recognize, Lord, the power that we have over one another. And help us, Lord, to use that power benevolently. Help us to build one another up and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us love our wives as we love ourselves and let wives respect their husbands and submit themselves to them. And Lord, we pray for peace and harmony in our most intimate relationships. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, that when the time for an argument comes to our mind, that you would give us the grace to divert our minds from an argument and look for a way to, to produce peace, the peace that passes all understanding, that you would keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross arising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.